Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome to the show. February 27. It's a Thursday. It's my last show for a little while. I'll be back, uh, I don't know when, um, March, <laughs> March 7th, 9th. March 9th, okay? Taking next week off is, is what it amounts to. Uh, yes, I am going to show my fearlessness by getting on an airplane, traveling across the country to California, where the first case that they don't know where it came from has been found. Uh, person I'm traveling with uh, called yesterday and said, um, now, don't scream at me, but are you going to wear a mask? <laughs> and um, I said no, but it'll be interesting to see how how many people on that plane are. God. So I'm sure you all feel a lot more, you know, relaxed about this uh, threat um, of a pandemic and the, the coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, after the press conference uh, from the White House uh, yesterday. I know I did. Uh, you know, hearing that Mike Pence is going to be in charge of things, I mean, I slept like a, like a drugged baby last night. There is no concern on my part whatsoever. We do know that Mike Pence, as, as governor, allowed an AIDS outbreak in Indiana to get a lot worse because he refused the medical uh, community's insistence that what was needed to stop it was uh, places where needles would be safe, secure needle program uh, to be instituted. and. Um, he just couldn't go there. He said, I'll have to pray on that. And so while the governor was praying, I guess a whole bunch of other people contracted uh, the, the virus. Um, yeah, his Christianity would not allow a clean uh, needle exchange program. So we've got uh, that guy uh, in charge. We have a president who, in the course of the news conference, contradicted, um, certainly with his tone, if not his words, <laughs> everything that the professionals were uh, telling us. And, uh, yow. Um, the front page of the New York Times suggests that, you know, one of the things that we've been hearing from uh, people watching this president in action over the last uh, three plus years, God, is that he lies with, you know, if his mouth is moving, he's lying. I mean, he just lies so much that even people who support him uh, acknowledge that he's lying a lot of the time. And so the concern has always been that in an instance of true national emergency, 
whether it be you know a terrorist attack, whether it be uh, something like this, a potential um, health crisis, um, pandemic, that the one place that Americans are used to being able to trust to get uh, information and the one place where they can be sort of calmed down and given the facts is from the President of the United States. <laughs> well, we're at potentially this point and nobody feels that this President will uh, rise to the occasion. The fact is, is that maintaining a calm demeanor um, but in command, um, certainly in no way politicizing something that has nothing to do with whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Um, the president historically has to be considered in such an instance a reliable uh, messenger. Well, all right. Well, at least we got Pence. At least we got Pence at the uh, helm. Jeez. Uh, the president um, has essentially already blamed this, I believe, on, um, uh, well, he's certainly, he's blamed the media already for making this seem worse than it is. The media is reporting the facts, okay? Uh, he's blamed the media for the stock market plunge, which uh, continues apace uh, today. Last time I looked, it was down 500 more points. Um, he's blaming that on the Democratic debate the other <laughs> night. There is not a soul alive who thinks that's why the stock market is, is uh, plummeting. Um, this does not bode well for his leadership of the country uh, during what could be a, you know, a pandemic experience. I don't know. It has not officially been called that yet, although I've, I've heard interviews with other health um, professionals who say that it sure looks like a pandemic. But the, I guess the World Health Organization isn't, is still not trotting that word out because it's, um, you know, liable to uh, freak a lot of people out. Well, there you have it. Um, yeah, Trump uh, yesterday said that journalists are making uh, this out to look as bad as possible, all because he's got, it's always about him, uh, to somehow harm him. Um, so we've got the, the woman from the CDC uh, saying it's not so much a question, let me get her quote, it's not so much of a question of if this will happen, but rather more of a question of exactly when it will happen. And she even went on to say that she has even spoken to her own family about, quote, significant disruption of our lives. So um, the president was heard to opine um, a, a story. This is the president trying to tell us to be careful. And you know this story is a lie because it has all the earmarks of a Trumpian just made up on the spur of the moment lie. Here it is. He's, 
I don't have the beginning. He's talking about a man who recently came up to him and hugged him. And here's Trump's words. I said, are you well? He says, no. He said, I have the worst fever and the worst flu. He's hugging me and kissing me. I said, excuse me. And I went and started washing my hands. Yeah, I'm really sure some guy came up, hugged and kissed the president, and said, I have the worst fever and the worst flu. I'm really sure of that. This is the president apparently trying to do the job of a president by saying that we need to be careful and wash our hands a lot. He has to preface it all with a totally apocryphal uh, tale um, about himself being in danger. Uh, what else do I have to tell you? Oh my God, oh right. <laughs> I missed this one. But apparently uh, Trump, uh, when he was still in India um, on Tuesday and he was being asked questions about this, he tried to calm people down by saying, look, there's a very good chance you're not going to die. Oh, dear. Okay. So, um, uh, what else? Oh, 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 it's important to know that um, last year, actually like a year and a half ago, Trump, as, as our president, uh, eliminated um, a position on the National Security Council. I mean, he's eliminating positions on the National Security Council left and right. The only, the only now criteria for being on the National Security Council is if you're willing to kiss his ass. That's, that's it. If you're not, you're off. I don't care what your expertise is. If you are not full throttle, full on, uh, you know, a, a Trumpista, you are gone. So he's been throwing people off. But in this case, he didn't just throw the person off. He threw the entire position off. It was a dedicated seat on the National Security Council that was there for a person who had the professional wherewithal to coordinate pandemic responses. So up until about a year and a half ago, we did uh, have somebody whose job it was to stand up in a situation like this and be like a czar, know how to do this. Trump not only threw that guy out, he, he destroyed the entire position, so the position is gone. So much for that kind of uh, national security. Um, you know, this is a guy who told us we were all in danger of being killed in our beds by uh, marauding uh, Mexicans, right? Uh, arriving in caravans. And when you looked at them, there were like 
little children and babies and women, d d desperate people, but they were killers, and they were carrying disease, murderers, rapists. That's the when the president wants to panic the nation, he's very adept. When this guy is supposed to calm and lead the nation, I don't know that we have any indication that that is uh, one of his uh, skills. Um, I mean, he's famously said already in regard to the coronavirus that, you know, it's sort of like the flu and it miraculously goes away in the spring. I don't know why I'm laughing. I really don't know uh, why I'm laughing. Um, and you know, the head of uh, Health and Human Services found out at the at the uh, press conference last night that he was not in charge. He he went there saying, "Well, I'm in charge of this." I mean, he'd been testifying at on, at uh, at the at the Capitol um, earlier. And he goes to this thing and, and listens as, as Trump, without having forewarned him or had the courtesy to tell him that, uh, yeah, that great uh, medical genius uh, Mike Pence is going to be uh, instead heading uh, the effort. Um, says here, and I certainly would agree with it, Oh, by the way, uh, the head of the HSS, the, the guy who was elbowed aside, um, Alex Azar, um, had in the days preceding yesterday's uh, press conference, had warned other people who might be briefing the president on any of this that they should give the president essentially a very simple paint-by-numbers briefing because he just doesn't want to sit and listen to it. The only thing that is concerning him at this point is the impact on the stock market, because it's the stock market that he's intending to ride um, to re-election. And uh, so you actually have his um, his... White House economic advisor, uh, Larry Kudlow, God help us all, saying this um, yesterday, I believe. We have contained this. I won't say airtight, but it's pretty close to airtight. And one of the greatest fears of the uh, health professionals is that Trump and people like Larry Kudlow will be contradicting uh, the scientific experts. And you won't hear any scientific experts on uh, virus spread, on pandemics, uh, say that um, we have contained this. Because we haven't. We have yet begun to fight. And some would say, with this administration, we are woefully unprepared. 
Um, Gail Collins uh, has a particularly snarky uh, column uh, about all this um, today in the Times, and um, I'll read some of it to you. So Mike Pence is in charge. Uh, uh, it is, I say, the pr if, say, the president had spoken to us, it could have been worse, she says, if, say, the president had spoken to us announcing solemnly tonight, I am asking every American to cross your fingers. Uh, and she points out all the things he said about how, you know, no problem, only one guy. One, it's one person coming in from China, he was saying. We've got this under control. He is already fudging the numbers of people um, who, have con who do have it here. Um, apparently, uh, yesterday on Capitol Hill, there, as I said, it was the same, I think, thing in which uh, the HHS uh, head, Alex Azar, was uh, testifying uh, at the Senate. And also sitting there was the uh, acting, every secretary, every position now, you have to put acting in front because none of these guys have been vetted or, um, or signed off on by the Senate. So the third, is this the third acting Homeland Security uh, director? No, fifth. <laughs> you can't make it up. Um, this, our fifth, go ahead and name them, I dare you. Name the five Homeland Security directors we've had. I can name a few, I think. Remember, John Kelly had that initially, I think. And then the woman. What was her name? Kelly's acolyte. Gone, gone, gone. Now we have um, the fifth acting uh, Homeland Secretary, uh, uh, Security Secretary, a guy named Chad Wolf. Okay, that's the guy we're relying on. Chad Wolf, and he was up there on Capitol Hill yesterday in front of this Senate committee, and um, he quite clearly didn't know a goddamn thing. So much so that Republican Trumpista Senator uh, John Kennedy, I don't think a Republican should be allowed to have that name, by the way, in the... Uh, uh, this Republican, John Kennedy, from the great state of Louisiana, John Kennedy was going nuts because he wasn't getting any answers from anyway. And he, he said to this uh, fifth acting uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, so, um, hey, do we have enough uh, respirators to, to deal with uh, this? And uh, the fifth acting Homeland Security Secretary said to the senator, yes. And then the senator looked at him and said, we just heard testimony that we don't. And the fifth acting Secretary of uh, Homeland Security responded, oh, okay, 
Um, Gail Collins says, to be fair, he's only been on the job since November. And she says, thank God he has a deputy. You know, the deputy, oh, excuse me, he, he has an acting uh, deputy, uh, Secretary of uh, Homeland Security, and that's Ken Cuccinelli. Remember yesterday when we were talking about Ginny Thomas, the, uh, the wife of Justice Clarence Thomas, and how she's been sending memos and lists to the White House for years now saying, this guy is not loyal, this one's not loyal, here's who you should put in the position. Guess who she said should be in this position? Ken Cuccinelli. So we want to thank you. Uh, yes, uh, Ginny. Ken Cuccinelli is the acting deputy uh, secretary, and he made news. I did not hear this. This is a little unsettling, so hang on there. Ken Cuccinelli, the deputy acting secretary of Homeland Security, made news last week when he went on Twitter to ask for tips on how to find an online map of coronavirus sites that have been posted by Johns Hopkins. How do you even, how do you even respond to that? In fact, he put on Twitter, here's hoping it goes back up soon. And I'm just going to, okay, because, I mean, that's the kind of thing where, ha, 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 they're so stupid, they advertise their stupidity. They are so unprepared and witless. It's unbelievable. Um, and then Gil says this, uh, are you losing faith in presidential appointees for health protection? <laughs> and she says, and it gets worse, guys, hang in there. She says, stop being so negative. They are all vetted by the Presidential Personnel Office, which I've been reading about lately. The head of the Personnel Office is 29 years old. Yeah, his name is John McEntee. And he was sort of floating around the White House because he'd previously been fired from another White House job because of concerns about his history of, uh, of gambling problems. <laughs> so they stuck him over there to head the pers presidential personnel office, which is now uh, head of the purge, of getting rid of everybody who was not sufficiently um, uh, sycophantic uh, to the chief executive. And he then hired... I guess to make him have some gravitas since he's only 29, he then hired very recently a 23-year-old guy. Um, wait, I actually pulled this out of... Um, here it is. Headline, Trump hires a college student as senior White House... <laughs> um, come on, where is it? On, baby. Oh no, my com my computer. Okay, no, my computer's going down. Um, 
he hired this guy just got out of college he now has um, an incredible amount of authority so she said don't worry Gail reminds us these guys got it under control you can not make it up yeah my, my computer's gone down which I figured was gonna happen okay if you wanna um, uh, send me anything will you please send it to Cullen show at yahoo.com Cullen show mm -hmm. all you know no caps um, at yahoo.com and then we got a chance of me uh, getting it uh, during the show um, here I've got the Trump hires the college student here on my phone um, Whatever vague semblance of competence this administration was able to bring uh, in the early days of the Trump presidency, it has since walked out the door. Um, and, and they go on about how everybody is now enacting this or enacting that or a random hanger-oner hanger, hanger from his campaign or uh, the sons or daughters of people who are sufficiently loyal to him. That's, what, that's who's occupying the White House uh, right right now. Um, expertise is so far down the bottom of you know the qualities that this White House looks for. What expertise? What's that? Um, on Wednesday we got the latest indicator, so it was just yesterday, of how bereft uh, the Trump administration is of standards and how contemptuous it is of people who might know better with the report from Politico that the White House has hired a college senior to be what is one of the top officials in the powerful presidential personnel office headed by the gambling 29-year-old gambling addict. Um, this guy is going to be running the office, essentially, the 23-year-old. He's going to be the uh, director of operations. His name is Bacon. Um, and he's there mostly to help carry out the purge of people not sufficiently loyal to, um, to the president. Okay, thank you guys for sending me stuff here. Uh, little Tony writes, when I see Pence and Trump together, it's only a matter of time before Pence will grovel to Trump in some fashion. Yeah, he does immediately. It was noted, I think, in, might have been this front page New York Times story. I did see that one of the first things out of Pence's mouth was he had to do the ass kiss to suggest that Trump was obviously in total control. I mean, you <laughs> This is the way it works there. Um, uh, 
Okay. And um, here's another one. Thank you for sending these things um, over here. Um, Mary writes, I was so reassured by Trump and Pence taking charge <laughs> of the coronavirus. Something tells me this is sarcastic. I don't even know where it's heading, but something tells me that this is a sarcastic uh, message. Coronavirus, I was so reassured that already today I went to the grocery store and bought enough meat and vegetables to fill my freezer right <laughs> Oh my God almighty. You know? Yeah. Uh, the stock market's continuing to plummet. I'm, uh, okay. And, um, Chris Hayes tweeted this, and, I, and it is something to think about. He said, Japan just closed its schools for one month. And he says, if you are a parent with school-aged children, just think for a second how massively disruptive this would be if we do the same and 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 it's quite possible we'll have to if it spreads here like it seems to be spreading in other if it if it, he said um and and this is the kind of thing that the the doctor from the CDC was suggesting and when she said she told her own family that this could be extremely uh disruptive and um as chris hayes points out this is totally opposite of the tone the president uh, took uh, yesterday in his uh, in his I don't call it a news conference because uh, you know it, it's it's not necessarily news. Uh, somebody else pointed something out about the American work culture and the reality of American workers. We're all being told now if you are at all sick, do not go to work. Don't go to work. That's the first thing you have to not do. Well, guess what? A huge percentage of American workers don't get paid if they don't go to work. And they work at jobs, mostly in the service industry. cleaning up after us in our offices, in hotels, bussing tables, preparing food in restaurants. These are people who can ill afford one day off. They can't even make it on what they're getting paid. And you think they're going to take a day off? or a week off? Sure, take a week off and then not be able to pay your rent, get evicted, end up living, well you don't even have a car because you can't afford a car. You, you tell me how this is going to work in a country that has destroyed its safety net in so many ways. Also, there was this tweet which I thought was right on too. Because I've 
worked in American workplaces for um, 50 plus years. This woman writes, you work in an office, let's say, and someone comes in sick. Everybody gets mad at that person. And then she goes on to say, but I'm not familiar with that culture. I only hear about that because I've always worked in the culture where working sick was praised and calling off, calling out, calling in sick meant you were a lousy employee, could not be counted on, and it was tantamount to, uh, you know, perhaps putting yourself in line to lose your job. So I agree, both those things that I, I just brought up, that so many people in this country have jobs where they cannot afford to take a day off. They work sick all the time. You think they're not going to work sick? So how do we stem what is apparently a very, very communicable virus? More communicable than the regular flu, they think. Um, when we have an economy built on the backs of ill-paid workers with, who don't get uh, benefits, like sick leave. Or if you work in a macho, white-collar uh, kind of situation in which you work sick. And it's proven because the boss works sick. That's the kind of place I worked in. If you came to work and you were hacking and coughing and could barely stand up, man, you were the greatest employee. So our culture works against us. The reality of our uh, of the way we treat workers is working against us uh, here. Also, I was thinking. So if we have to close uh, schools, and and like in Japan, and I believe they're doing it in South Korea too, uh, they've set up programs where the kids still are educated because they all have computers at home and everything just goes online. Well in this country a lot of people don't have computers at home and they're often the same people who have to work sick if they want to even attempt to feed their kids. So I'm just pointing out that in this country where it's assumed our response will be the best. We have some situations that could really create a very difficult um, situation. And I don't want to get ahead of this because we are not yet at that point. But if it comes and people in the scientific community are suggesting that they would not be surprised if it did, well, then I would say I would not trust that sick people are staying home. That's just my sense after living this long in this country. 
hey, um, uh, heads up, uh, because I won't be here to give you this heads up next week about what's happening at the August Wilson Center, um, besides that extraordinary photography exhibit. But on uh, March uh, 6, which would be what? March 6 would be a Saturday night. That's a week from this Saturday, I think, if I'm back on the 8th. It's a Friday? Oh, okay, I'm back on the 9th. So March, yeah? A week from this coming Friday, a just great singer, uh, Leela James, is uh, going to uh, be doing a concert. Um, she is uh, an acclaimed uh, R&B and soul singer, uh, but also a songwriter. I mean, her her music is covered by a lot of people. Her uh, her music is featured on Dancing with the Stars. I know a lot. Um, so she's just uh, a, a, a anyone who's into R and B knows uh, Leela James, and this is just quality soul music uh, f for well over a decade now. So just want to say she's going to be showing up. And that's something uh, some of you might want to know. I'm telling you, the August Wilson Center is a happening place. You could, you know, you could do nothing but go there for your cultural activity, and you would be getting lectures on political issues, panel discussions, you would be getting plays, you would be getting dance concerts, you would be getting art exhibits, you would be, I mean, they do it all. They do it all. And just wonderful stuff. Uh, oh God, I came on this and this really freaked me out. Um, it's just so typical of, uh, sorry, just trying to see if anybody, um, okay, so typical of how vile this administration is, and this, this gets us over to the Stephen Miller um, area. Um, you know that legal immigration to this country is way, way down. Um, we are making it n almost impossible for people to come here unless they're rich and connected. Give me your tired, your poor. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Oh yeah, send these, the homeless. Ha! Tempest tossed to me. What a lie. I think the Statue of Liberty should be draped in a black shroud at this point because the words at her base are just an outrageous lie given this country's actual policy. So anyway, I find out that the Justice Department, somebody better rename that agency pretty soon too, the um, the William Barr Justice Department has created an entirely new section. It's the denaturalization section. 
This is, and there's a picture of Stephen Miller here. He ain't over at the Justice Department, but this be his baby. And he's got true believers over there in justice. And what they're going to do, what this clearly says, is that even if you're a citizen, but you achieved your citizenship through the naturalization process. In other words, you were not born here. But then you went through the process and you became a citizen. I mean, we're, how many times have you seen those wonderful ceremonies with people holding little American flags and finally uh, achieving their American citizenship? Well, it turns out, and this is nowhere in the Constitution or anything, the only thing that naturalized citizens, as far as I know, are deprived of in our Constitution is the ability to be the President of the United States. Um, but now the Justice Department has a denaturalization section where they're going to be looking for people who they can pin anything on so that they can throw them out. Revoke their citizenship. Your citizenship cannot be revoked if you're born here. And it shouldn't be able to be revoked if you are a citizen by virtue of, of naturalization. Over the last three years, now let's see, who'd be uh, in charge in the last three years? Over the last three years, denaturalization case referrals to the Justice Department have increased 600%. That's very personal to me because my son is a naturalized citizen. All right, we have a caller. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, hey, uh, you're talking about taking days off. I think Pennsylvania has a law that the companies have to give you sick time. I don't know how many days. It's called protected time. Yeah, protective, it's uh, right. We have it here, but I know the other states. Ohio doesn't have it. Yeah. Because people that work at a company in Pennsylvania, they don't get that because <laughs> you live in Ohio. It's amazing how old is these companies. Yeah, this, um, I, and I think our, what, what you're suggesting is very new. There are a lot, yeah, it's, very it's very new. And so uh, just yeah. an extraordinary amount of American workers are not covered. And even, yeah. if, even if they are, um, they, some of them don't even, uh, you know, they just can't, they feel they can't afford to do it. That it marks them as uh, somebody who can't be uh, trusted. You know, I don't know. God help us. But yes, thank you for um, that. That is a correct. Um, I wanted to say that you notice how when Bernie Sanders was coming to the lead, how these stations, oh my God, they're in a panic. It goes to show you, which I kind of think Biden's going to be a nominee. I still believe that. But I, I, like I said, I could be wrong. But it shows you how these people are in bed with Wall Street, just as bad as the uh, Republicans are. I mean, they just, 
even the people that are like uh, host on these shows, they're talking about their 401ks, what ain't worth the shit, but how the money is this and that. It's just all business related to the Wall Street, which has screwed this country so many times, but they still go back to them. Because they're going to crash again, and the economy is going to crash again. It happens. It goes in cycles, and it's going to happen. It might be on its way now. But it's amazing how fearful they got when Bernie was coming ahead. Now, I don't believe Bernie's going to do what he says he does, because he ain't got enough Democrats. No, he's not going to be able to. That's right. They will not vote. They couldn't even vote for the affordable health care. Let's bestow that example right there. So if you think you're going to get some big change when they come in, they're just going to make it a little more normal. And you have to live with it. That's how it is. That's the de- Democrats will straighten the mess out the best they can. Because Trump's going to leave a hell of a mess. You know oh, that. Oh, God. <clears throat> One cannot even begin to assess the damage. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the call. Okay. Okay, okay thank you. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Um... Yeah, I've had this uh, story sitting here in my little box that I've um, been meaning to share with you for a long time. Let's do it now. I think it's an important story, very important story. And on a personal level, I sort of like uh, have been, uh, you know, somewhat aware of it. And I suppose all you have too. Um. This has to do with your pharmacy. And I'm going to assume that most of you use one of the big ones. Um, I know I do, I because it's near nearest my house, CVS. Uh, there's CVS and, uh, you know, and Walgreens and, and Rite Aid. Those are the, the three biggies. And they all operate pretty much on the same business plan. And it's a classically American business plan. Understaff, overwork. But when you're understaffing and overworking in a place that is dispensing life-saving or potentially life-taking drugs to people, um, that is not a good business model. So uh, this is some time ago that the Times did a really excellent uh, series on on this problem. And uh, believe me, a lot of this information comes out of Pennsylvania. Here is, um, they quote a pharmacist who wrote to the Texas State Board of Pharmacy. You know, all these states have some kind of a board, right, that supposedly oversees pharmacists. And the number of frightening uh, letters, usually anonymous, that are being sent to these state boards from pharmacists who work for CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid is mind-boggling. Here's one. I am a danger to the public working for CVS. The amount of busy work we must do while verifying prescriptions is absolutely dangerous. 
Oh, no, that comes from someone in Pennsylvania, a pharmacist in Pennsylvania. Also from Pennsylvania. Mistakes are going to be made, and the patients are going to be the ones suffering. Um, here's another that just is unbelievable. The day before Wesley Hickman quit his job as a pharmacist at CVS, he had worked a 13-hour shift with no breaks for lunch or dinner. As the only pharmacist on duty that day, this is in North Carolina, Dr. Hickman, he's a doctor? Dr. Hickman filled 50, no, wait, 552 prescriptions about one every minute and 25 seconds. At the same time, while counseling patients, administering vaccinations, making calls, and staffing the drive-through. Partway through his shift the next day, he called his manager and said, I'm not going to work in a situation that is unsafe. I shut the door and left. Um, with nearly 10,000 pharmacies across the country, CVS is the largest uh, chain and among the most aggressive in imposing performance uh, metrics on their pharmacists. The reason this story rang so true for me is because I am bothered constantly by calls from my CVS. Uh, we notice that you have a prescription available. Would you like us to fill this? And I have said in person to them a million times, I don't want these calls. And they'll say, okay, we stop them. They stop for a little while and then back up again. Um, it turns out that pharmacists who work for these places say that this focus on getting more people to auto-refill their prescriptions, turning them into 90-day prescriptions instead of 30-day prescriptions, all of this on top of everything else they're supposed to be doing, ends up resulting in errors. Um, internal CVS documents uh, show that staff members were supposed to persuade 65% of patients picking up prescriptions to sign up for automatic refills. Now, I got to tell you, if your doctor gives you a prescription, because let's say you got something, why would you want automatic refills initially when it could be that the it's just I'll just take this and then I won't need the automatic refill. There are some pills you might have to take every day for the rest of your life, but generally speaking you you won't. They are under pressure to switch you to 90-day supplies and 75% of staff members 
have the pharmacy contact their doctor in a proactive way. All of this is done. Some of it I appreciate. You know, I say, oh, good, you contact my doctor and see if I can get a... But what's behind this is just filling as many prescriptions as they can, as fast as they can, whether or not you need the medication or not. They've cut staff so much that it is not unusual for a pharmacist to work a 12-hour... They work 12-hour shifts, I think, at my CVS. On their feet for 12 hours. The phone's ringing. People are showing up, asking where, what would I... They have to do this. You go there, you get your flu shot. You get your shingle shot. They have to stop what they're doing, go back and do that. And... Um, the reality is mistakes are made. Um, here's another letter from a pharmacist to a state board. I certainly make more mistakes. I had two misfills in three years when we were staffed at a reasonable rate. And now I make 10 to 12 misfills that means didn't get the prescription right, per year. And that is the ones that got caught. Uh, so how bad is this? We don't know. The specifics and severity of how many errors are made in this country by these overworked, understaffed, uh, uh, pharmacies is uh, impossible to tally according to the reporters. Many mistakes never become public and these are sometimes fatal mistakes. Ne many mistakes never become public because CVS or Walgreens or Rite Aid settle with the victims or with the victim's family if they're dead if they've been killed because of pharmaceutical error. And the companies in these settlements require the family to not say a word. That's a confidentiality. Yeah. We'll give you we'll give you two million dollars here, but you don't get it if you're going to report this. Um the American Psychiatric Association uh, says it has been particularly concerned about CVS, which, by the way, is the eighth largest company in this country. CVS, eighth largest company. And the American Psychiatric Association says CVS routinely ignores doctors' explicit instructions to dispense limited amounts of medication to mental health patients. So I'm wondering as I'm reading all this, I mean I can see at the CVS I go to that the pharmacists are overworked. I can see that. And are asked to do so many things. So am I surprised to hear this? What's, what's upsetting is we don't know how bad this is. 
And when the New York Times contacted the officials at, that sit on all these state boards that supposedly oversee uh, pharmacists, they said that they have very limited authority because they cannot dictate how these massive corporations do their business. says here that efforts by legislatures in California and other states have been unsuccessful in substantially changing how pharmacies operate. There have been efforts made and they have come to naught. And this is because of the greed of these corporations and their shareholders. That's why they understaff, so they don't have to pay the people that are really required to run a safe operation. They overwork the folks who are lucky enough to have the job. And I don't know about you, but I now look very carefully at what I get from the pharmacy because while the Times was not able to sufficiently alert us to how bad this situation is, it is quite clear that we, the people, the consumers, are at risk here is something from a New Jersey pharmacist. My fellow pharmacists and pharmacy technicians are at our breaking points. Chain pharmacy practices are preventing us from taking care of our patients and putting them at risk of dangerous medication errors. Uh, here's another one. This one is from a South Carolina pharmacist. The mistakes I have seen occur are both frightening and understandable when we are under the gun to perform the impossible. I have had a technician mix two strengths of a critical blood pressure medication. Um, a few more. This is from a Missouri pharmacist. We are forced to harass patients at checkout to fill unnecessary meds, to request refills, unnecessary refills, and to enroll in automatic fill programs that result in dangerous duplications and medicines to be filled that were intended for single-time use. Here's one that came to the Texas Board of Pharmacy. A fatigued and distracted pharmacist in a fast-paced, chaotic environment is much more likely to make an error. The harm from a medication error ranges from being a slight inconvenience to being fatal. Last year, a CVS mistakenly dispensed a steroid for a little boy in 
instead of the reflux medication the doctor had ordered. It is not known what long-term effects this child might face. There is a woman who died after taking a powerful chemotherapy drug mistakenly dispensed by a pharmacy. Her son said she was supposed to have received an antidepressant. The error wasn't discovered until after she was rushed to a hospital. Here's a South Carolina pharmacist. We are being asked to do things that we know at a gut level are dangerous. If we don't, or if we can't do them, our employers will find someone else who will, and they will likely try to pay them less for the same work. I know that's not happy stuff, but I really thought that that's important for you to know. Uh, pharmacy customer, beware. And it is an outrage, again, that the business practices in this hyper-capitalistic society of ours can literally kill people, and we aren't allowed to know it. And on that happy note, I want to wish you all a good week, because I'm gonna, not going to see you till um, I won't be here next week, and then I'll pop up back the following Monday. Um, so I hope you have a good one. God knows what's going to happen in the interim. Uh, we'll deal with it <laughs> one way or the other uh, when I get back. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.